Hi, I'm Chelsea. And I'm Chris. And we are first-time parents. We are a mid-20s couple living on the east side of Seattle in Washington State. Our baby was born in the spring of 2020, and we are learning how to become parents while continuing our lives of outdoor adventure and home renovations. So come listen to our journey as we learn how to adapt parenting into our lives. Hey guys, welcome back to Emerald City Parenting. Chris and Chelsea are here, and we're going to talk about some things that happened with Jamie this past month. So, kind of to jump right in, we recently took a trip to Alaska. Yep, that's the big news. We took his first plane ride vacation and got to experience baby in flight. <clears throat> Spoiler alert, he did great. <laughs> um, he was not fussy. So the plane ride there from Seattle is about three and a half hours long. And he slept for half of the plane ride. So he, he slept for um, takeoff. And then we just kept him entertained and fed him a couple times. Um, and he just played uh, the rest of um, the rest of the flight going there. And yeah. so that turned out really well. Yeah, but starting even before that, um, I was going to tell you guys what happened just in the week going up to our travel because um, it's pretty relevant to the whole whole event. Uh, so so I uh, went hiking on Monday and we left on a Thursday. Um, but I went hiking on Monday while Chris was at work. And I actually tore a ligament while I was hiking with Jamie and Zena. Um, so that was pretty, pretty like detrimental because I couldn't walk smoothly and I couldn't, you know, carry Jamie anymore. And so it just made things pretty difficult. And we were a little bit worried going into the trip. Yeah. If you've ever torn a ligament, then you'd know that it's really painful and it's not fun. And <clears throat> the best thing to do for it is to, you know, ice it and somewhat immobilize it, but you definitely have to reduce your activity level. Yeah. Yeah. So like I couldn't, you know, walk Xena anymore or yeah. Uh, Chris basically carried all the luggage when we were on the trip the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, so just, I mean, it made it definitely harder on him. And then it was just frustrating to me to have like limited abilities. And since we were taking a baby to a cold climate, um, we had to bring even more luggage than we would normally like to. Right. So it's kind of interesting that we, you know, chose to go to Alaska for the first trip with the baby. And then like this other stuff happened too, because usually Chris and I are very much so minimalist packers. We, you know, throw on a backpack for a week long trip and it's like no big deal. You know, that was our go-to. I, would travel with a yoga mat just for fun because it was always like my personal item. Um, but now, you know, with this setting, we needed a lot more stuff. So I had an air cast from tearing my ligament. Um, we ended up wrapping in a trash bag so it didn't get airport germs all over it. And then we had to bring his car seat uh, because we were going to be traveling in shuttles and cars. Um, and there wasn't a car seat there. We weren't renting a car. Right. Yeah, I mean, pretty much unless you plan on walking from the airport at your destination, you should bring a car seat with you. Right, or if you're renting a car, you can get one included. Yeah, so... Um, so we had to bring those. We also wrapped the car seat in a trash bag. Right. Um, but security made us, you know, undo it all so that they could inspect the car seat for drugs and stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. TSA is always a little difficult, but we got through. Um, we also brought his bed. We have the guava baby, like pack and play style bed. Um, so he sleeps in that at home. Um, and now like we bring it for any overnight event we have. And then we figured out to also bring his sound machine when we travel with him. And that makes a big difference in him sleeping more through the night. And then, uh, yeah. And then in addition, like just all of our clothes were in, uh, like a large rolling duffel bag. Um, we brought, I carried the bed as a backpack on my back because it's pretty light. Mm-hmm. And then Chris had the diaper bag that also had like our carry on stuff. And, and Jamie then, on my front. Yeah. And Jamie on his front. And then we checked a really big duffel bag and then like a smaller duffel bag. Um, check those across to go. And we gate checked the car seat. You can also gate check a stroller, but we don't use a stroller and it would have been pretty, I don't know not useful and probably unsafe because it was icy like most of where we were walking so i'd rather just you know carry them on our front where we can wear good tread boots rather than having tires like slipping everywhere yeah yeah i mean when you're walking around like inland alaska in the winter time there's no pushing a stroller um which is actually interesting because we were staying any yeah i think about it we were staying in fairbanks for two of the nights and we didn't see any babies anywhere. Mm-hmm. I wonder if people just like don't have babies in Alaska. Well, they just like move they there. Do. I, don't I don't know. But yeah, we didn't see any. I think people just walk <laughs> around less because it's it's very cold out. Yeah. So you don't see I a guess lot of people walking around. If you have a baby, then you just keep it inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they probably just go and get their food or whatever else they need. Right. Yeah. Well, anyway, so the flight there was really yeah. great. The Fairbanks Airport was smaller than i thought yeah i don't i'm pretty sure i hadn't been there i'm pretty sure we flew to anchorage when i went to alaska previously and then we just drove around it was Um, like six gates i think yeah yeah but in the fairbanks airport there was only six gates and it's funny because it's deemed as like an international airport which automatically makes me think it's like larger um just from childhood that's kind of how things were but it's only called international because it also flies to like canada and i don't know if it has any that go over to asia at all but yeah like it's just kind of funny yeah i mean maybe to russia since it's right there but yeah i didn't look into it doubtful yeah yeah so anyway um yeah real small airport when we were traveling back there's one restaurant that just gives you some perspective on how oh and tsa goes on break from like 12 oh, yeah 12, 12 to 1 or something so like i hope you don't need to you know go through security then because yeah. well, there's I'm just sure nobody there set up like in time with the flights <laughs> probably but yeah it was funny that like they just went on break but anyway during the trip um so we get there the flight going there goes pretty much as perfect as it can go you yeah. know like we have to show up in the morning for our flight security check-in and all and we did chris carries everything we found a cart to put on the rest of the stuff yeah we lucked out we didn't pay for one of those luggage carts we just found a rogue one usually Um, we just pulled all ourselves but with me uh limping around that wouldn't work so well yeah well normally we wouldn't have that much stuff either but Mm -hmm. um so we found um we just parked like at the airport even though it's more expensive but um, we decided that the hassle of moving all of our bags and then, and then most importantly with the car seat, um, 
Because if we took, if we did like, you know, off-site parking and then took the shuttle to the airport, then we'd have to like install the car seat into the shuttle and like do all this crazy thing. Yeah. And so we were like, I mean, like, what's it going to save us? Because we've done that before. And typically it only saves you like 10 bucks or so. So we were like, eh, we'll just park at the gate. And then, so it turned out yeah. that that was probably the best option regardless, because then there was less time that Chelsea would have to like, you know, limp around. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think it's only like a couple dollars a day. So yeah, depending on how long you're gonna be going and how much luggage you have, it makes more sense just to park at the airport. Or we would do Ubers a lot. We would Uber to the airport. Yeah, but that was really expensive too. It was like seventy five bucks each way. Yeah. Um, and then we'd have to install a car seat in there if we were to do it in this scenario. So <laughs> right, and then there's just somebody else like driving. Parking like- at the airport is the best because it's also really nice to just come back to your car and go. You don't have to worry about. You know, like finding your Uber and I don't know, are they a decent driver? Yeah, we've had Ubers like miss the airport exit and then they'll cut across like four lanes of traffic drastically to like still like make Mm -hmm. the exit for us. And we're like, whoa, I thought you've been here like a hundred times. Yeah. Really crazy. Yeah, some are real bad. The last, last, was it? Yeah, the last time we flew when we went home for Christmas, Mm -hmm. we were coming home. I literally was getting sick and like sick by the time we got home because their driving was horrible. Yeah. So anyway, we like taking Ubers, but with our new baby life, it doesn't seem to really fit. Yeah. <clears throat> so only to the airport. We don't like taking Ubers otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, yeah. So that covers luggage and plane ride with the baby. Um, food for him. Well, we, I knew we were going to do this trip. So I bought these like, organic baby food packets. I think, I mean, if you guys have been listening, you guys know he eats only whole foods for the most part at home. It's all eggs and salmon and um, squash soup and avocado and banana. So that's like how he eats at home. But obviously that's not like super feasible when you're going to be gone. And we didn't know what would be available where we were going since it is Alaska. So there, you know, produce is really expensive if you can find it at all. Yeah. Um, and so the first night we were staying at a hotel in Fairbanks. And then the next three nights we were going to be at Borealis Base Camp, which is, you know, where we would watch the lights. And then the fifth night we'd be back at the same hotel in Fairbanks before we left. Um, so knowing that we were going to stay in two hotels, you know, there's not much, you know, as far as that goes. And then the three nights in um, Borealis Base Camp, all they have on site is just a restaurant. So you're kind of, you know, they say that you can get whatever food you want, you know, beside that, but you're like an hour north of Fairbanks. So unless you have your own car, it's like not really an option to go anywhere else for food. So you're kind of at the mercy for what they serve at their restaurant. You just kind of threw that at them like it was so low key, like, Oh yeah, by the way, we're just seeing the Northern Lights, just like totally underhanded. <laughs> so that was like the whole purpose of the trip uh, was to see the Northern Lights. We just, you know, hadn't mentioned that yet. Okay. That's why we went. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. wanted to see them. That was the reasoning. Uh, but anyway, back to the food. So I bought these organic baby food packets. They were the Amera brand. And it was like basically, um, what are they called? The instant mashed potatoes. That's like how I viewed them, but like a really nice fancy version because it would be like sweet potato with like raspberry and something else. And then there was a second flavor that was like regular potato with kale and banana, maybe something else on that. 
Um, so it was like only those ingredients and they just like dried them and made them into flakes. And then you just add water or milk or whatever liquid um, to make kind of like a, you know, little puree pudding kind of thing. It kind of reminded me of fish flakes, to be honest, because it wasn't really like powder. It was like kind of like little flakes. Yeah, it was flakes, just like the instant mashed potatoes. Yeah. But anyway. So we brought a bunch of packs of those with us um, so that we'd have something. And then I like packs of sardines and we brought bananas and avocados for, you know, as long as they would last the first few days. Yeah. I think and it was then, like five or so. Yeah. And then a bunch of like these little nut butter packets I have, uh, they're called super fat and it's like almond and coconut macadamia. Um, so they're not like the peanut. He hasn't had like peanuts yet. Um, but he'd had those at home. So we were comfortable giving that and it's like, more filling and add it to stuff. Um, so we tested them before we went just to like, you know, have something easier to carry. Mm -hmm. um, so we ate those and then, yeah, we blew through the bananas and avocados and turns out good bananas are also really hard to find in Alaska. So we were kind of, you know, just didn't have those at a point. And then our waiter at Borealis Base Camp was, like, really cool. And he kept bringing Jamie, like, other fruits um, to bring those to eat. And then he ended up bringing them some other stuff. But he, like, couldn't really eat that because, you know, this, this guy is really nice. But he doesn't have kids. So he didn't, you know, know super well what Jamie could eat. Yeah. But the fruit was really nice. <laughs> and, it, you know, gave him something else because Jamie gets pretty upset when he, you know, doesn't have food, like, in time. Um, so... He would bring that over so we'd have something to give him until we could get back and get his other little food packets. Right. So feeding him was the main challenge was that he started eating more than his normal while we were on this trip. Yeah. And so kind of looking back um, and seeing like a experience since the trip even, um, it seems like he almost like stress eats a little bit. Yeah, that's um, how it appears to us at least. Yeah. So when he's around, when he's in like an uncomfortable situation, he eats more than, you know, he would normally eat. So while we were on this trip, he ate like ridiculous gargantuan amounts of food yeah, for a small baby. Yeah, one time he ate a whole baby. tin of sardines. <clears throat> it was like three hefty sardines yeah. all in one sitting. And normally he'd only have like a half or one fish at a time. Yeah. And the one time he just ate all three and we we're like all right well you better be full for a while now yeah so and he still ate his normal you know five times a day so you know eating the extra didn't really slow yeah, him down that's about, is that about how many times he eats food yeah about i don't count i feel like it makes me more frustrated if i count all of them <laughs> so i just you know make sure there's stuff available i'm like all right another meal here we go yeah and plus milk on top of that but, um, yeah, okay, so that was good. And then sleeping. Um, so, like I said, we brought his normal bed and his sound machine. Uh, we brought his zippity zip. And, yeah, that's all the sleeping stuff. Yeah. Um, so we brought all that. But the trouble with traveling is, like, you know, I, I think a lot of adults have this issue where you're sleeping in a new environment, so your body's kind of, like, wary of where you are you might like wake up in the middle of the night or there's like different light in your room so it's like we sleep in a really dark room so I feel like hotels always have like little lights on that bothers yeah. us the the hotel alarm clock was like 
totally obnoxious. Oh, yeah, I mean, you could see like everything in the whole room with the light from the alarm clock. Mm-hmm. So we just unplugged that. Well, anyway, it seems like Jamie has the same thing where, you know, if we're away from home, he's just not as comfortable sleeping, which is reasonable because I think everybody gets that way. But it just makes it really hard because you can't explain to him, like, yeah, we're in a new place. Like, it's okay. We're right here. So he, you just have to put up with him, you know, whether it's being upset or waking up more or not going to sleep well. And that's really frustrating because at home, you know, he sleeps in his own room and he's comfortable with that now. And we can kind of like, like separate ourselves and, you know, he sleeps through the night well and everything, but then we're in this hotel room or in the igloo at Borealis base camp. So he's like right next to us and we kind of have to like attend to him and listen to him and deal with like every little thing that comes up as opposed to like sometimes at home he can put himself back to sleep if he might wake up. Um, but yeah, so that, that made things kind of difficult, um, on the sleep front. So I don't think he slept through the night at all while we were there. He's at the gate. Oh, <laughs> Jamie's playing in his room right now. So he's, uh, he's looking at the gate. <laughs> we had the baby gate closed. He climbs up on it now. <clears throat> Giving them a foreshadowing now. Uh, some more, do you have anything else to add on the sleeping? No, no. Okay. Um, let me go get him. Hold on. Okay. Well, <clears throat> so, um, so the middle part of the trip, we went to um, Borealis Base Camp, which is um, these igloos that this guy built. Um, and so it's like a fully enclosed building made out of building material, and it's white and it's round. But then he cut this like giant hole in the roof and put these acrylic panels in. Um, so that way you can lay in bed and stare up at the sky and look at the Northern lights. Um, so that was like really cool. They were kind of like self-sustained little tiny homes. They were completely off grid. They had solar panels and, um, generators, generators, generators generators did the bulk of the power. Yeah. Um, they had like water, like trucked in. Um, they had, um, I think they were called, um, waterless toilets, so that was really yeah, interesting. They told us they were primarily used for boats and RVs, but we had never seen them I'd before. I'd never seen them before. So, like, when you go to the bathroom, you know, it looks like you're going to the bathroom in, like, a space bag, one of those, like, like, foil a, bags. Yeah. And like then, Jiffy Pop is what it makes me think of, like, those type of bags, but mm-hmm. it's, like, the size of a full toilet. And then when you flush, it, like, <laughs> pulls the um, stuff down into a vacuum and, like, twists it up in the foil wrapper so then you can't see it anymore. Um, and that was like really interesting. So apparently it's good for your average size, like 15 flushes. Um, but so anyway, it was really crazy though to like the toilet, just like it plugged into the wall and then, but like it didn't have any like plumbing or anything like that. So you could like move it around. I mean, not that we did, but you know, (laughs) yeah, it was really interesting. Never seen anything like that before. Yeah. Yeah. We hadn't seen it. So then. In that setting, you know, you just let them know, like, oh, like the bag's full, and they come get it. And I don't think it like smelled bad or anything. Like, I think it was a very friendly option for a lot of people that were probably looking for a more luxurious experience because it's like they can't put in plumbing because they have permafrost. So it's it would just be really hard to set up a septic system. Um, But they did have one septic system for the. I don't know what you'd call it, like the lodge or the main hall. It was like where there was a yurt and then there was like 
some really nicely done trailers next to it. Um, they were all connected and there was plumbing in there that they had set up a septic system because there was one area of non-permafrost um, on that part of the property. So it's actually interesting because it was like at the top of the hill. I'll call it a hill, but some people would call it a mountain. Um, yeah, I thought it was pretty minor. <clears throat> yeah. Well, so anyway, to us, it was a hill. It, to us it was a hill. And so at the top of the hill, it was the only area on the property where there wasn't permafrost. So they could build the lodge there and they could have a septic tank there. But um, they have like reverse um, temperature differences in Alaska. So it's colder down in the it's valley. A temperature inversion. Temperature inversion. It's colder down in the valley than it is like up on top of the mountain. Um, At least in that region. In that region. It's all across Alaska, but it's. Thin. Right. So that's why there was permafrost like everywhere else but then like at the top of this hill there it was the only area where it wasn't it would actually thaw some of the year um so that was kind of interesting but the hall was really nice it was actually a yurt first mm -hmm. and then they like added on this building next to it um so the main restaurant was in the yurt and it was like a yurt with like a double wide right um technically yeah, yeah. but so i was just really impressed because i I'm never impressed by trailers. I think all of them are just not nice. Um, but this one, they they really they made a gourmet restaurant inside of a trailer. I think to do a yurt, and it was yeah. just done so well. It looked great. It was a really modern design. They used like like a mid-century theme for this little living room area, and they had I don't know really like upscale setups with. The, the tables and table settings and everything. Yeah, I was very impressed. I've never seen a trailer look as nice as this one mm -hmm. did inside. I didn't Pictures even realize. Everywhere. Yeah, I didn't even realize that it was a trailer until, until like, the middle of the time we were there. Yeah, and I was like, wait a minute, this is a trailer. Yeah. But yeah, they made it look really nice. So that was impressive. And that's like where their front desk is and everything. Yeah, and I think so the I the yurt aspect helped a lot because then it wasn't just like a rectangular right. you know, building. Right, like threw you off because when you're inside, you can you walk straight in and you see the yurt with like windows and views out to the valley. Mm -hmm. So it was like really pretty on a nature level. So you don't even think about like, oh, like this is just a trailer. Like it didn't even occur to us. And I feel like we're pretty observant. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. So yeah, that I was did a good job on that one. Yeah, that was really good. But anyway, speaking of the toilets, uh, changing Jamie was pretty much still just as easy, even away from home. Um, so we got like a free Amazon pack of baby stuff and it included a like disposable to go diaper pail. So it was like a mini diaper pail. Maybe it was like a foot and a half tall and like eight inches in diameter. And it was like supposed to be all disposable. So we could just put his diapers in it and then like you just throw the whole thing out. So that's basically what we used for the three nights we were at Borealis Base Camp. And we just kept it there next to the trash can so that we didn't have to worry about whether we could throw them in the space toilet or if, if they would stink up the trash because it was sitting in there. Yeah. Um, so it still had like odor blockers, but it was, you know, a little disposable diaper pail. Yeah. So we used that and disposable diapers. And then most of the time we still washed them in the sink. We barely used the, uh, use the wipes. Um, like generally we just don't like using them. They keep diaper rash away to not use them. So we just did that and that worked really well. Yeah. It's not a product that I think I would want to buy. Um, because mm -hmm. sort of like disposable and everything, but you know, since we got it for free, it was handy to have. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'd say it is good for travel. Like if if you're gonna stay in one place, a lot of the trips we take, we move around. So we'll be in a place for like one to three nights and then we'll switch locations. And like, obviously we don't wanna take dirty diapers with us around to these different locations. But I think it's good for if you're traveling and you're gonna be in one location for, you know, three plus nights and you don't wanna take your diaper pail. Or I could see it if you were like a, a van life family. Like I know a couple, van life people that have babies i could see it being really useful in that setting too yeah yeah or i guess if you're just an rv family uh do it there um but anyway yes diaper changes work really smooth and then wow sorry jamie's dancing around hitting the computer yeah. um uh okay and then the main question we get is about like how to keep jamie warm in an alaskan winter which is a really funny question to me because obviously there's babies born in these temperatures. Like, I don't know. It's not like babies don't, they're, they're still born in Alaskan winters or in Russian winters, you know, all these places where it gets really cold, there's still babies born and they didn't always have perfect climate control to keep our homes 70 degrees. So, you know, like babies can be okay. You just have to do it right. And, you know, check on them frequently so for us, we I had splurged and bought the Patagonia bear suit for him because it's completely adorable. It's like dressing him up like a little stuffed animal. And um, it's really warm. Yeah, yeah, it's nice and warm. I mean, it's like really nice quality since it's Patagonia. They they do everything right. There's just a price tag to go with that. I guess back in the day, you know, it'd be equivalent of buying like an actual animal skin little outfit for your baby. Yeah, maybe. Or I guess making it is what they would have done. Right, yeah, they would have made it. Um, and then the, we had a lot of hand warmers. Uh, we had bought some, my parents had bought them for Christmas for us. And so we brought all the hand warmers we had cause we just didn't know how often we'd want to use them with him. Um, and then we just brought clothes we could layer. So he'd wear like, you know, like two different onesies layered on top of each other. Or we put like, you know, thin stretchy pants under more sturdy, I don't know what would you call those pants? Like khakis, yeah, like uh, like Docker style pants or whatever. Um, yeah, so we'd like we would just layer him just like you do with yourself, you know. And then uh, Chris always carried him on the front so that he could check on him. And uh, Jamie was facing Chris in that carry, so then his like face is uh, out of the wind. Yeah. Plus, I could keep him warmer too because you I wrap would, him in your coat. Yeah, I would unzip my outer layer and then like tuck him into it. Right. Um, so. Kind of the drawback to me having to exclusively carry him and me only carrying him on my front for those reasons is that I really wore out my back by the end of the trip because I was carrying him like most of the day, every day mm -hmm. in the same position. And that's pretty tiring, um, but it's all good now. It just yeah. was pretty worn out there yeah, for a while. Yeah, well, to carry such a big baby on your front, because I usually try to carry him on my back in most settings now. Just because he's plenty old enough to, you know, yeah. he's plenty supported. So we figure if you carry him on your back, it doesn't wear you out so much. It's a lot of pressure on your lower back to carry a big baby on your front. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, despite what everyone thinks, I think we did keep him warm. Uh, the one time that I, we thought he might have been cold, but then like at the end of this scenario, we think he was just hungry. Yeah. Um, but we did go dog sledding. Um. They, when I was booking the trip, they told us we couldn't go. But while we were there, I guess they got to know us. They have great staff. And they 
uh, talked to the dog sledding guy and said it was okay for us to go. That was the only time Chelsea and I were cold the whole yeah, trip. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we because, were chilly, but never like really cold. Yeah, but I think it's – so that was an amazing experience, and that was really cool. So the guy had 44 dogs, and obviously there was only eight of them hooked up to it, you know, the team that we were being, you know, pulled by. But um, it was really interesting talking to him and how you, like, handle life with that many dogs. and um, But so you're, like, sitting still – you know, with the wind while you're like being pulled. And that is what got us yeah. because normally if you're like exerting, you know, with the wind, then you can kind of cope a lot better. Yeah. But if you're just sitting there and then there's all this crazy wind cause you're moving, you know, and those dogs move at a pretty impressive rate. Well, it's funny. Cause like, I, I thought they were like jogging along pretty well. And then like talking to the guy, they were like on, you know, a speed walk compared to their normal pace because they're like race dogs. He came in third in the Iditarod, which is a thousand mile race across Alaska. Um, but like they were basically on like, you know, their Sunday really calm recovery jog. You know, if you're an athlete, like compare it. Yeah. Um, they were just trotting along, no big deal. But we're like, man, we're moving. We're getting some decent wind and everything. And it's so it got pretty cold. Um, you know, when you're exerting, you create a lot of core heat but when you're just sitting there you uh you know you get cold so i was i was definitely real chilled yeah so this guy has 44 dogs one of them doesn't um pull a it's sled a anymore is a pup no the one with the injury oh i thought it was the other way around that the 44th is like a new one and just didn't start running yet oh Okay, well, so maybe. I didn't hear that. Avo is his oldest dog at nine. That's how I understood it. Well, yeah, but he could have... She was in the back pulling us. Yeah. Well, so anyway, so he had two dogs then that didn't pull regardless. Um, he has over 40 that still pull sleds. And so I asked him if he just like spays or neuters like certain ones because I imagine if he wants more dogs, then he'll just have like a litter and then he has more dogs. So... You know, but he doesn't want like a thousand dogs. And so he said, no, I actually only have one dog that's spayed and the rest of them are all intact. And he did that because um, he didn't really like how this one dog acted, I guess, and wasn't like a really good sled dog. So he thought that he, he would, yeah, he would end the breed line. And then after he um, spayed her, then she became like his best pulling dog and was the best leader. So I actually wonder if it was that um, dogs go through like a lot of like hormone changes when you, you know, alter them. And I think that maybe by having her altered, like turned her into a good sled pulling dog by changing her like, you know, hormone levels and body chemistry, um, but anyway, we didn't get into that with him. Um, but he almost seemed like he regretted, um, you know, spaying her. But maybe he just doesn't believe in, you know, what I just said. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, so then, you know, we were asking a little more questions. And so he basically keeps them all separated. Um, so, like, you know, this giant pen has – or I guess he has, like, rows of cages, mm -hmm. like pens – and so, oh, like, like all these pens are the boys, are and this row is the girls. And then they all have their, like, areas where they can go out and play. And, you know, 
So they're all separated. And he has about half and half, which I thought was cool um, that, you know, males and females are just as good as one another at yeah. pulling a sled. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. It is cool. Um, and then he also lets like about eight dogs in every night so that he breeds his dogs to be good like house dogs so that they're not just like athletes and outdoor dogs. He wants to make sure that, you know, in the worst case scenario that he couldn't take care of them, that they'd be able to go to homes and be just like somebody's pet, um, which I thought was really cool that he thought that far into the future to make sure the well-being of his dogs was carried out past when he can take care of them. Cause you know, he's like an older guy, but I mean, he doesn't expect to stop right now, but he doesn't really know like, you know, if anything were to ever happen, he wants to make sure the dogs are okay. Right. Which I thought was nice. So yeah, he brings eight dogs. I think he said a week uh, into oh, his house. I thought you said a week. Oh, okay. Maybe I misunderstood. But anyway, yeah, he rotates them and brings a chunk in each time mm -hmm. so that they all, you know, get to come inside. So, but the rest of them live outside the rest of the time. That's just how it is in Alaska. A lot of people, you know, have their... You just give them a dog house and then they, you know, deal with it. I yeah. think a lot of dogs could live outside if they started from being pretty young. Right. Like, a lot of your standard, like home dogs that people think need to be in climate controlled, but they'd probably be fine. Well, I, I, I think most of your dogs that are durable, I don't think you could take like a Pomeranian right. yeah. and like stick it outside, small breed, but like a durable dog yeah. you can have live outside, you know? Yeah. So any like medium or large size, mm -hmm. heftier dog. Um, but they weren't actually know. all huskies, which was interesting. So I don't know if any of them were. Maybe they, they had some mix in them. They looked like they were all them. about like fifty pounds. And so he said they were a mix between um, Alaskan husky and German short hair pointer. So the pointer makes them like better with commands and keeps them smaller, which makes them more like lean and agile, I guess. But when he says Alaskan husky, an Alaskan husky is like a husky mix. Um, so his dogs all look very different yeah, from each other. Siberian Huskies. What other types are there? Uh, Malamutes. Oh, they count as one too? Yeah, I think okay. they're a type of husky. I always knew there was Malamutes, so I didn't think of husky. Yeah. But <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, they definitely, they weren't like super fluffy. They weren't very big. Some they of them were... did not have winter fur. Like the oldest, the nine-year-old one, that one yeah. had like coarse, you know, medium length you know, fur. Yeah. And not hair. Yeah. To us, they, you know, they looked, you know, like about the size of a Malinois, like a Belgian Shepherd. Yeah. Um, very similar to that. Yeah. But yeah, it was just kind of funny. But they were, they were amazing dogs, like really cool athletes, but like still had playful personalities where they would just you know, pick up a stick or like grab a mouthful of snow along the way. And yeah, it was actually really fun to watch them. You know, they, they would, they would like, you know, grab some snow if they were thirsty along the way, then go to the bathroom while they're running, which is really incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah, but the, the puppies, they would like grab a stick, like while they're running and then the one next to them would like grab the other end and they'd be like playing tug of war while yeah. they're running down yeah, the trail. Pretty cute stuff they yeah. Did. It was pretty funny. They were definitely all having a really good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said like this is this is their work and they love like running for training and races even more and which is so cool because like if this is their work, you know, this seems like they're having a good time even doing this. Yeah. Um so this yeah, guy does fun. tours uh for Borealis Base Camp. He lives down the street. 
and he does tours, at, I think, as a full-time job now, so that he can, you know, fund his life and his racing career. A few a day. The day we went, he was doing five, and he said that was a lot. But we think that he gets $100 a person, and he can take two people on at a time mm -hmm. to do these tours. So we think that for, as Alaska goes, we think he's making, you know, enough money to sustain himself pretty pretty decent money. Yeah, got to buy a lot of dog food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we're sitting on the sled. There's like an upper seat and a lower seat. So I sat in the back with Jamie and then Chris sat in the front, the lower seat. Um, cause he kind of took more of the wind then. And then me and Jamie got slightly less wind. I well, mean, plus the, I was still freezing. the lower seat is supposed to be bumpier. Right. So I didn't want Jamie to get upset, you know, cause you never know what babies are going to think. So yeah. I didn't want him to get upset if he was like jostled around too much. So we put him on the back. Yeah, so he was facing inward towards me on the back, and uh, and then the guy stood, like, on the skis behind me um, and, like, directed the dogs. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, it was a good time. It was about an hour-long tour, and we just went out uh, a couple miles and back a couple miles. Yeah. And uh, I got to meet the dogs and everything. But, uh, yeah, so Chris and I got really cold, and then, like, towards, I don't know, a little bit after the middle – Jamie started getting really upset and crying a lot. And like during it, we're like, oh, he must be cold. Like that could, that's the only thing. Cause I think he had eaten right before we left. Mm -hmm. And it was less than an hour later. But he, he had upset. He had hand warmers like all over him. Yeah. yeah. He had we his did hat. Many layers, his hat. We did, yeah, I think two sets of hand warmers. Mm -hmm. um, and then he was like sitting on me. So I was radiating heat for him. But yeah, so that was like the only thing we thought it could be. And so, you know, we're getting a little worried, like, man, like, gotta make sure he doesn't get frostbite, of course. So after that, we just kind of, like, got back inside as soon as we could. And we're, like, undressing him. And it's funny because, like, a few people at the hall, like, knew us by then because it was our, like, second day at that point, And you're hanging out with the same people the whole time. Um, so they're... They're like, man, I haven't seen this kid cry yet. It's been like two or three days now, and this is the first time we've seen him crying. So, you know, that makes us feel good that we're keeping him happy. But he was like really upset. Yeah. And like, so I like tried to breastfeed him there. He like didn't care, didn't want it. We we're like undressing him, and like all his limbs and everything feel perfectly warm. Like he's like, rosy and warm like there's, there's not even a yeah. chill on any part of his we're body. like freezing and can't feel our toes and he's like completely warm yeah and so anyway so it turned out that he was really hungry but um, he didn't want milk he, but he didn't want milk else. he wanted real food and so you know after he had a good meal then he was all smiles again yeah nice yeah so we brought him back to our igloo undressed him and then Gave him, I think we gave him a banana and probably some other stuff. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, great. And we brought him back and we got lunch. And I was like, oh, yeah, now he's happy. He's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. All good. So, yeah, it was just kind of funny. Uh, the, the waiter. Yeah. So there was only one, like, high chair, you know, because the restaurant's kind of small. So the waiter is like, let me go get your chair, buddy. Like, this is his chair. Yeah, because he was, like, the only baby there at the time. So yeah. it was just Jamie using it every time we came in to eat. It's pretty funny. So, yeah, same waiter every time because it's, you know, he worked that chunk of days while we were there. And then it would turn over to somebody else. It was, it was a pretty long shift with, like, having multiple meals and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like three 12-hour days he worked. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. Um, so it worked out well that we got just him the whole time we were there. Yeah. And we got along with him real well. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. 
so yeah, that's that's all our you know like events. I mean, other we didn't do as many activities just because I couldn't walk as much. Um, so that was like the main like outdoor activity that we did. Yeah, I did a little nature hike um, without her, but it really wasn't very long. And then so she ended up doing it with me later again anyway. Yeah, so that was they do like a free or included snowshoe tour every day. Um, and you would think being in Alaska that they, uh, they would get a lot of snow. Cause I mean, like, oh yeah, really long winter, lots of snow. Um, and there was a lot of snow when we got there, but what we didn't realize was that <clears throat> it actually doesn't snow very often. It just stays so cold. So their snow never melts like it would, you know, down in the contiguous 48, most of our snow melts off pretty quick. So, yeah, so we get there, and there's many feet of snow, and Chris goes to do this snowshoe tour, and the guy's like, yeah, you don't actually need snowshoes, because the trail's, like, super packed down. It hasn't snowed here in, like, a month, other than a couple light dustings. So, yeah, he goes through and does this walk a few miles long, and, uh, oh, he's happy over there? He's in his walker. He'll probably oh. come in and visit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, hey, buddy. So... Yeah, so it was a cool little nature walk. I did it on the last day once my ankle was feeling better enough to walk a little further. And uh, the other thing, on the last day, I don't know, Jamie showed more interest in standing, I guess, like with help. Um, so normally at home, we have a jelly jumper and then this walker that he's in right now. Um so he walks around and knows or is able to stand, you know, with the support of them. But we didn't have them when we were away. So that was another thing that made it kind of hard because he wanted, like, more attention so that we could help him stand. Because um, he gets tired of being on the floor, I'm sure. So, uh, so on the last day, we were, like, in the, the lodge kind of, like, living room thing. And... Uh, I was like helping him stand up and he was like climbing up on furniture a little bit and it was really cool, you know, cause he was showing like a lot of interest in standing on his own and you can kind of walk him holding onto his hands. Uh, so that was like really fun to see. It was the most interest he had shown yet. And then like by the time we got home the next day, uh, he was like climbing up on things on his own, you know, using like furniture or any, any like surface in our house and like doing that on his own. So previously he had needed us to help him get there. But then by the time we got home, he was just using his own strength to climb up. So that was like really cool. Um, Cause that's been a big step just recently. And you know, it shows he's kind of moving into walking soon, most likely. Yeah. He'll pull himself up like <clears throat> next to our couch and then he'll like kind of, you know, sidestep along it and he'll take his toys and he'll shove them in um, <laughs> the underneath couch cushions. the cushions and, so he's starting to be more mobile, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. yep, we have to keep the trash recycling off the ground because he'll walk over to the trash can and he'll uh, grab the liner out of the can and wave it around the room. Or yeah. He'll pull anything out of recycling. Yeah. You guys can probably hear him talking now. Yeah. He's a good little talker. Uh... Anyway, oh, okay, so then the flight home, mm -hmm. um, this is where some problems arose. So uh, my ankle is feeling better, so I wear just my normal boots through the airport, and we, like, pack the air cast, and that's fine. Um, and Chris is still carrying Jamie on his front through the airport, and 
Fairbanks Airport's tiny, like we said. There's one restaurant, so and we were like almost out of food. We had like one meal for Jamie left, and I was saving it for on the plane, thinking that like when he gets upset, we need like a solid good baby meal, like not just one of those packets, but we had like the packets, the nut butter, and something else to give him on the plane. Um, so I wanted to save that, but it seemed like he was hungry in the airport before. So we go to this restaurant and I'm like, oh, they got to have something like, even if it's just like applesauce or whatever, something else to give him. And they had nothing. They only had like some sandwiches, one salad, some pizza and like yeah. super limiting. So like Chris and I were really hungry and we got something, but like there was nothing for him. And we had gone to the grocery store the night before and they're like, wasn't really much of anything for him there either. Yeah. <laughs> it was all prepackaged, like, yeah. bars or boxed food. Right. I was like, I'm not giving my baby, like, ramen, like, and I don't have any, like, they had, like, you know, ingredients, but I didn't have any kitchen to cook something in. So, yeah, by the end of the trip, we were, like, real low on food and, you know, the airport didn't have anything. So, we're, like, in there, and this is, like, his worst meal yet. We ended up getting him, like, a tuna salad mix it was like a can of like tuna salad with crackers um so we just gave him the tuna salad mix and it's uh it's the worst thing he's eating it has like crappy oils and stuff in it i know like most people are like that's a weird thing to feed a baby or like it's not that big a deal he ate that but i was pretty upset giving it to him but i guess i'd rather have one not so good meal than be screaming on a whole flight because he was hungry yeah yeah so we did that in the airport, and then we, like, waited around forever. Uh, we had to get there way too early because we just, like, didn't have anything to do. Everything in Fairbanks was close. Um, so we are waiting in the airport, hanging out. We got on the plane. Uh, Chris puts him back in the carrier, and he's, like, falling asleep in the carrier. And the flight attendant comes over and is like, oh, I think you have to take him out of that. And we're like, what? Like, what do you mean? It's fine. And, all right. Jamie's screaming a lot. Hold on. Get away from the plants. <laughs> Shut up, very loud. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So we're on the flight. <laughs> I guess Jamie doesn't want to talk about this story. And excuse me. <laughs> He's bouncing now. Oh my goodness. This child is so loud. So we're on the flight. Chris is Holding Jamie in the carrier. He's falling asleep. Flight attendants being annoying. But anyway, we get through takeoff and she lets him keep the carrier with Jamie on. And, you know, she's like, I guess it's okay. Like, it seems like it. And we're like, good, good, fun. Um, and then we get up in the air and she comes back over. Jamie's completely asleep, but he's a light sleeper. So he wakes up somewhat easily. And she comes over and sits, like, I'm on the aisle, and she sits across from me on the next seat because um, no one was there. And she starts, like, practically yelling, telling us that we're, like, breaking the rules and that 
Um, now they're going to have to file this paperwork saying that they willingly broke the rules. And, oh, my gosh, I was so frustrated. And Jamie starts fussing, and she's speaking so loudly, and I'm, like, purposely speaking softly because trying to keep the baby asleep. And, yeah, so apparently there's this rule about baby carriers for takeoff and landing that the baby can be, like, in them, but it can't be attached to the parent. So... I mean, I still don't understand and she couldn't explain it to me because I like did a little research and it seems like they, you know, the baby carriers aren't rated for like a plane crash. So if you were to have any jolting forward, you know, the baby would like rip through the carrier anyway. And then they're also worried about in like a turbulent situation, the parent's chin hitting the baby since you are supposed to have them that close. But I just don't understand because that seems more like those problems don't seem as bad as just like not holding the baby at all. Like if they're just sitting on your lap, then they could get thrown into the sea in front of you or something like that. Or like, you know, in a really bad situation, they could get thrown even further. So I, yeah, I still don't fully understand the FAA rules around that. And the flight attendant literally said to me, I don't understand the rules. I just enforce them, which I thought seemed really ridiculous. Um, but anyway, so yeah, we're, we're in the air flying and she wakes him up. And so both Chris and I are like livid at that point. We're like, is this woman serious? Like, what is she thinking? But uh somehow somehow he was okay anyway so he was just fussing and woken up but then uh i think i just gave him milk at that point and he was okay like it it turned out all right and we played with him a lot and he you know had a good attitude and we got there and luckily we could ignore that woman the rest of the flight and just leave and it was fine um but, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think we upset anyone around us on either flight, which was a big accomplishment because I know a lot of people that happens for them. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, got home and resettled our lives, got everything organized. It's always nice for us. We always feel motivated when we come home from a trip. We're just, like, ready to get back into a routine and, like, shape up everything. So, uh Jamie's back. He's decided to be a little bit more quiet. For now. Anything else you boys want to add? It was a great trip. I definitely would want to go back. Mm -hmm. We want to see the Southern Hemisphere um, Northern Lights. <laughs> the Southern Lights or the Aurora Australis. That's what I meant. Distracted <laughs> this child. Yeah, he is distracting. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was a phenomenal trip. The lights were amazing. Definitely worth seeing if you haven't seen them. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's about it. Yeah. So thanks for listening. See Good, you guys next month. Goodbye from Jamie and the rest of the Fosters. Oh, yeah. Have a good one.